Hello, thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Wise Content Creates Wealth. You've heard that content is king, well, wise content rules the world. This podcast is about understanding how you can make and utilize wise content to improve your financial success and your company's bottom line. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, and I'm a marketing technology expert who has built a multi-million dollar business, and I'm also an award-winning content producer. My company is Galileo Tech Media, a leader in providing wise content and smart SEO. Our wise content is content that incorporates semantic science, behavioral science, AI, and data to make content that converts better and gets better rankings. So today, we're going to dive a bit into video and content analytics. So the first thing I'm going to point out is that Google just uh, offered up some new resources uh, for doing video SEO. So if you head over to Google's Search Central blog, which is developers.google.com slash search and slash blog, you're going to find an article on new resources for video SEO. Uh, and it first, and so the resources are essentially information and, and, and some very insightful information at one point. Uh, so there's a new video, a lightning talk on the topic of video SEO best practices by Danielle Marshak of Google. And then second, there's an updated help section uh, on video best SEO best practices. Now, what they did, what Google gave, gave us in this uh, information is what are the signals they actually use to understand and rank video? So, uh, and, the, and there, was four very, there was four areas, essentially. There's on-page text, such as page titles, headings, and captions near the video, which is for fairly standard practice. There's referral links, uh, which are signals from other sites linking to the video. There's the video files themselves. They, they actually now really scan those files and understand the audio and visual content. And most importantly, they now are really looking at the structured data, the markup that communicates video metadata to Google. To, to Google. Um, and there's a video uh, meta tag now. I, I forget the exact um, the d definition of it, but you can go to that uh, site I referenced to find it but it's pretty important now and structured data is gonna become more and more important in understanding uh, what is the signals that you, uh, Google uses. And as we discovered in a previous podcast, they call the, those metadata as decorations for the search results. <laughs> so they, you know, decorating is like putting up the five stars or putting up extra questions and things like that. So they understand the contextual reference from the data, but then they also used to use it to decorate um, the, the results so that it's more in, informative to the user. So that being said, let's now move on to our guest. Brennan White is a serial entrepreneur and the leader in the AI for marketing space. Brendan founded Cortex, the first AI for creativity. How are you doing, Brennan? Can't complain. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, sure thing. So, Brennan, you told me that uh, uh, since founding Cortex, you have been focused on spreading the word about the benefits of AI to creatives and marketers and empowering them to get ahead of the technology curve and taking back their data. What was your, right. before that, before you got on that mission, what was your journey before founding Cortex? Yeah, I'll go into that background. I was a creative person um, 
in my undergrad and my studies, I actually a music composition major at Vassar College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, and uh, and so uh, went immediately after college directly into tech startups as a sales and marketing guy. Um, and from there, saw my CMO at one of the startups I worked for try to use YouTube for marketing. He spent $100,000 to create one YouTube video, um, which was a nine-minute song about Excel spreadsheets. And, uh, you know, I'm not even joking you. This is completely true. In fact, I I haven't looked for it in a while, but I'm sure it still exists, right? Uh, Internet never forgets, right? So so as the, you know, resident 23-year-old, you know, they didn't ask me. But as the only one who actually used YouTube at the time, because I was like the right demographic, I was just sitting there shaking my head saying, what the, you know, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I founded a, I said, you know, I'll, I can be a consultant on this. Like they spent more on that one video than I'm going to make this whole year as a sales guy. So, right. um, so I, I hung a shingle out there with a co-founder, a friend of mine from childhood. We actually founded what ended up being one of the first social media agencies in the United States, kind of before Facebook even had business pages, before Twitter was even launched. Um, and uh, it ended up working out really well. And so um, we were there for many, many years. It's actually still running. It was on the pandemic. Is that Pandemic Labs? Pandemic Labs. Sort exactly. of a sort of a ironic title right now, but <laughs> the timing, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's a there's a whole story there about the name. Uh, it's yeah. funny, but yeah, it's a funny time for the having that name. But yeah, basically the long story, you know, collapsing 15 years All into right. 30 seconds. We saw the same problems. At all, you know, we, we sold mostly to the world's largest brands like Marriott and Post-it Notes and and 3M, you know, 3M, uh, uh, DirecTV, Dunkin' Donuts, you know, big brands that we all know. We helped them figure out how to navigate content in this new content world um, as things were changing so rapidly. And they all had this exact same problem. And I first thought, you know, we kind of went to our vendors, our tech vendors that we were using and we were like, which one of you is working on this? Mm-hmm. And none of them were. And so, the, you know, it was either you know, don't have the problem solved or do it yourself. And so we went that route and my co-founder Matt and I both moved to Cortex, raised some funding, you know, got a tech team involved, got data scientists involved. And so you, when you, when you, when you launched, I saw, I saw a press release from 2015, you launched and you called it a a Cortex, an artificial intelligence program uh, for social media marketing that helps brands increase their return on investment in social. But now you're focused, I think, uh, what your focus is, what you say it is, is AI analytics, for, AI analytics for images and videos. Is that different than what you right. started in or more precise or what was the evolution there? 100%. Yeah, the customers, we knew the social angle very well, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what we've been doing for 10 years prior. Um, and so to us, what seemed like a social media problem, uh, very quickly when, as we started selling the customers and they started using the product, they started using the data and the insights for all of their creative decisions that involved visuals. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, of course, we, we kind of that perked our ears up. We asked them, you know, how are you using that for your in-store ads? You know, what, what are you trying to achieve? And it was the same, prob- the same problem that everyone was having in social, which we can go into in detail, but it kind of to summarize is we went from creating, you know, hundreds of pieces of content a year in a content group at a brand to, to tens mm-hmm. of thousands over a very short period of time, right? So so every brand had to all of a sudden become a giant content engine and they didn't really have a way to do that. And so they were all suffering for the same exact problems that come along with that. Um, and so, uh, you know, 
realizing that that wasn't unique to social and that using the insights that we were providing to, to help make better content and social, they, they wanted to use those insights everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. Not even mm-hmm. on just limited to their advertising, but even beyond in the product and packaging and everywhere. And so Cortex realized, you know, we realized very quickly that the opportunity wasn't social. The opportunity was anything visual, right? When, you're, when your audience is going to see something and their impact and reaction to seeing that is going to impact your business, you want to be able to de-risk and optimize that. And so very quickly we realized, okay, the same tech, you know, it's the same tech. We, we added a lot of data once we realized that, but it was the same exact technology just applied to a, a different data set mm-hmm. um, and a wider data set. And so, yeah, we kind of entered through the social door, but very quickly our customers were very, made it very clear that there's a, there's a much bigger problem than that. And we had just initially, we're kind of seeing through the keyhole, just a little piece of it. Now, do you still do the social or is it mostly just now image and video? Yeah. Yeah, no, the, 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 the way Cortex works is it uses machine learning to uh, understand what your audience wants in mm-hmm. terms of visuals, right? Before you've created any content. So, you know, like before A-B testing were even to exist or before even an idea, your, your team committed or come up with a concept, right? It tells you what your audience wants down to nitty gritty visual creative details, right? I love, that, so, uh, I love that little story you told me that... Uh, if you have, sometimes you create a video or an image and then the CFO comes in and says, well, I don't like that blue sweater uh, and you can't answer it. You can actually answer that, right? Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. every creative, I don't know, uh, you know, what kind of people are listening, but every creative person, regardless of what they do, whether, you know, I was in music before, right? Advertising, any anything, they've had that experience where they've studied stuff they've worked their whole career on something they've put a lot of work into a campaign or a project or a work of art or whatever they do and then at the 11th hour the boss some other person in in the influence circle comes and expresses an opinion you know we should change this to blue as you said or we should you know refilm this but with a different family in it or whatever the the thing is and as a creative that's an extremely frustrating experience because the way we have traditionally treated creativity and therefore kind of creative things in general, even when they're in business, is that they're entirely subjective. So what that means is anybody with an opinion that outranks you, your boss, perhaps your wife, you know, someone in your life that outranks you, um, you have to traditionally kind of give into that opinion. And, um, and so regardless of how much work, regardless of your qualifications versus theirs, even if it's someone not in the marketing discipline, right? They can come in and express an opinion and derail your efforts, right? And everyone hates that. And the reason that is simply because there's no, or traditionally there has been no rigor in data to validate your choices, right? You, you can't say, I did this because. <laughs> you say, oh, I had a good idea and then I worked on it for a while and you know, who cares, right? They're like, well, great, change it change it anyway. <laughs> and so that's one of the things that Cortex uh, solves. solves. Great. Well, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your experience with content over the years and, uh, and how it's evolved and uh, what can set uh, brands apart. Cool. Hello, it's Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Wise Content Creates Wealth podcast and my guest, Brennan White. So Brennan, right before the break, you were, you were talking about various things in the, you know, the content space and you mentioned you know, how 
all of a sudden you went from hundreds of thousands and tens of thousands of content. Yeah, so you've been around in this content, creating and forming content for brands for a while and you've seen some changes. How, is, uh, how has brand content changed since you got started? Oh, dramatically. In the past 10 or 15 years, we, we, if you ask kind of anyone who's been at a brand for a while, they went from creating dozens or you know, a few hundred pieces of content a year, right? television and, and emails and things like that, to, to literal tens of thousands. Right? Now mm. we have, everyone's got a phone in their hand, everyone's consuming more content than ever. Um, there's been an arms race and everyone uh, at a brand is creating content for all of those new channels, plus all the old ones, right? So mm -hmm. the content has become, you know, a hundred X more numerous. So the workload for these people has dramatically exploded in a very short time. Um, and the, the type of contents dramatically changed towards the instant engagement, you know, thumb stopping, we'll call it, you know, you're scrolling, you're kind of not paying attention. What gets you to just, you know, grabs your attention and, and and kind of activate your brain. So the content's changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, you know, I think uh, the thing I always wonder, you know, is, <laughs> you know, all these new content channels, do are, are brands actually doing every one of them? Are they, are, or do they, do they, or do they use your analytics to discover which ones they should be on and which ones they don't? You know, uh, how do they know which, 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 which channels to just like ignore? Well, yeah, they do use analytics like Cortex to, to, to kind of prioritize. However, they are on almost all of them. Um, and the way they view it is kind of like a castle, right? Before you had a castle and, you know, let's say you're a market leader in, in, in your space. You had a castle with five gates to guard, right? Mm -hmm. If somebody did better television ads than you, they were storming that, that gate. So you'd, you had to also put resources to, to guard that gate. Same with radio, same with the other content gates. Now there's 25 gates, right? And they're mm -hmm. adding more every year. And now TikTok matters and every brand cares about that. And they haven't stopped caring about Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and all the, all the other ones. So the problem is there's, if you're the guy or the gal or the brand that owns a space, every new angle is a way for you to be disrupted, mm -hmm. right? And so they have to play there. Like the, the famous story that they all are afraid of is you're familiar with, um, um, I forgot the name of the brand, the, the Sh Dollar Shave Club. Yeah, um, oh yeah, right? they I didn't remember. Invent, <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they didn't invent razors. They yeah. didn't make new razors. There wasn't anything there. The thing that they did was they said, Gillette and all these people aren't playing on online video where the millennials hang out. So we can go get that whole market by making a few awesome videos. Uh -huh. And then they're gonna have to buy us for a billion dollars, and you know, right? And so, yeah. effectively, you know, Gillette's gates <laughs> were stormed uh, that they weren't defending, right? So, so if you're a big brand, you have to play on these gates, and and they are. And so, for them, they feel like it's a treadmill that's you know speeding up and speeding up and speeding up, but they have to you know keep yeah. pace with. You know, I I was I, I was I was big and I was working with a, a, a big media buyer at one point that was doing direct direct response to advertising on TV. And their people that were doing these commercials were seeing a, a decrease in leads generated by the commercials. You know, they pick up the phone calls and they measured it by the phone calls. And they started realizing after a while that 35 to 50% of the calls they used to get were now being driven online because people weren't remembering the phone number. They were remembering the, the content of the ad and went on and they effectively built you know, uh, there was one company who was spending $17 million in television ads 
and they built a competitor because all the competitor did was optimize for whatever they were doing their commercial for and was capturing all those leads. Uh, you know, <laughs> so talk about disruption, it happens in, in everything. So everywhere. With all that content, uh, you know, and you know, I know a little bit about this, but I want to hear your perspective. How uh, are most brands creating all that content now? Well, interestingly enough, they they really haven't adapted well yet. Mm -hmm. And this is a generalization. Some of them are great, but that is the you know, the top two percent have a whole new process. They've completely pivoted. Most brands just added some bodies. You know, they subscribe to a few technologies here and there, and they just have their agencies and their teams work much harder, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and they also lower the bar for the content that they make, right? They they just okay, we don't have time to spend a month on each commercial now. We have maybe a few hours. We have to put two pieces out today. So, you know, the, the bar gets lowered. So that's that's really the problem, right? Is is branding wins even traditionally, but especially now, right? You yeah. see D to C brands that are brand new. They have no business beating the incumbents who have a hundred years on them in terms of brand love. Yet they create some cool content, they go direct to consumer, they sell one product really, really well, they nail the content. And they're eating the lunch of everyone else, right? And so, um, yeah. the brands, most brands, still haven't made that leap well. No, and I mean, um, you know, the, the reason I created the concept wise content it's just about that. You know, you know, up up until now, you know, and probably for the foreseeable future, creativity is a wisdom that really, you know, is what humans excel at. But what is happening now is that creativity can also be driven by data and science and analytics and you know, beha you know and behavioral things and semantics so there, there's going to be tool sets that that brands can use right to to help design um the that content but so you mentioned there's some brands that are doing it right so what sets those brands uh, content apart from the rest? Is it just the creativity or I imagine it's more than just the creativity? No, they respect their customer. Yeah. Uh, they nail what the audiences want, right? It's not, it, it sounds It sounds so pedestrian and so obvious, but most companies, most people are self-serving. They kind of put their business goal and they work backwards and they say, okay, we need to talk about this new product next week. And so they make a, a piece of content about that product mm -hmm. and then here they are off to the races and then a big you know content generation process starts where they go get their agency they they come up with an idea they fund it they do a photo shoot you know weeks happen and there's content about that product and they never they never tried to or in the past the problem was they couldn't ascertain reliably what the audience wanted to see before they put in all that effort. That's where Cortex plays, right? As we, mm. we use machine learning to, to tell you exactly what the content, you know, the details your audience wants prior to spending any of that time. And the best brands do that. That's part of their process is, is trying the hardest, either using Cortex or they've got their own way to try to get at what the audience wants and giving them what they want. Because nowadays, as we've seen, there's so many places I can go I can look, mm -hmm. I can get my content from everywhere. I can go to different, I can switch you know, the switching cost between effectively any brand is almost nothing. If mm -hmm. if you create content that pisses me off in the slightest, I'm leaving, right? I'm going to cancel you and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. right? We've seen that everywhere. And so making sure you know exactly what they want and mm -hmm. figuring out the Venn diagram of you know, what your audiences want and what, what we want and finding that overlap and creating that content is is really the, the name of the game. Now, you know, when they're creating this content, do you think that... Um... 
that uh, I, I mean, you're there, so you know. Do you, do you um, don't you think the best brands create content? You know, use the same ideas and and the, and the concepts for the audience, but they plan a bunch of content around a concept. Like, you know, there's going to be snippets, there's going to be tweets, there's going to be you know, there's going to be social media posts, there's going to be a video, there's you know, and is that is that whole universe part of what you guys also analyze? Yeah, yeah, totally. That, that, that's part. That's that's the the danger, right? If you commit to right now, the process is they come up with an idea, they commit to it. They fund it, they budget it. The time starts where if it's a, a big series of content, it may take weeks or months to get all that content together. Then after they have all the tweets, all the videos, all the YouTube, everything, then they start to get feedback that it was a bad idea. The ship has already sailed, right? They've already run the process. They've already spent the time and the money. And so the danger there is the, the way content has traditionally been done and the way most brands still do it is it leads to a lot of those car crashes where you, you're kind of like trying to save something that was not a great idea to begin with uh, and it's too late, right? Mm -hmm. You can maybe you can eke out a few, you know, if you A-B test correctly and you kill the bad ads and you do focus groups, maybe you can, you know, get 10 more percent out of it or something, but you still, you know, if you went in the wrong direction, you're still going in the wrong direction. You lost the the opportunity cost of of really crushing it, right? Which is that's where the delta in performance really lies. Is if you can get your content aligned with what your audience wants from the get go, then you don't have to try to you know not fail by you know get five percent more at the at the at the back end of of the of the process. So you know you mentioned A/B testing. It's sort of an ancient uh, tool now, right? And then you know, uh, it's a bit, it's been the way to refine content ideas for a while. What, what do you think is wrong with that approach? It's, it's still the state of the art for a lot of brands, right? So it's yeah. not even ancient. It, it, it's absolutely. I know it. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, we're using an ancient <laughs> tool still. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's crazy that it's still the, the way to go, but yeah, it, you're, uh, it's kind of like what I just said, where AB testing shows up after you've put your name behind it internally. So you get all the political ramifications. You've put the budget into it. You've sunk the time. Then we have content to show to people. And of course, it doesn't respect the audience, right? By showing them a thousand versions or 10 versions or whatever, and just filling their, their plate with, you know, crap, pardon my French, and then figuring out, oh, you know, here's the best piece of crap, <laughs> uh, right? That's not, that doesn't respect them, right? It, respecting them is saying, I'm going to take the time to figure out what they want first. And everything I create is going to be in line with what they're asking for, right? And so that everything that they see, there may be some versions better than others, but by, by a small degree, but it's all something that they like, right? And, and so that's the big difference. A-B testing, you're, you're kind of self-serving from the get-go by nature. Uh, mm -hmm. And the best thing you can do is save you a few percentage points on the back end. It can't change a failing campaign to a winning campaign. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it it really fails most people on the on, on a, a mid and small size companies because there's not enough data really to tell you much. <laughs> so many problems, not enough yeah. data. They're not sophisticated enough. It's too late. There's so many problems with it. Right. It's crazy. All right. So we'll, when we come back, we'll talk more about uh, how data can impact uh, the creative process. All right. Awesome. Hi, 
this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Wise Content Creates Wealth podcast with my guest, Brennan White of Cortex, uh, the leader in AI creativity. <laughs> um, so I, uh, you know, we're going to talk about data and I was going to mention, you know, I was going to, you know, one of the things that we, we do, we're in the SEO space is, you know, we use data like uh, search console data to help determine which content's performing and which content we should prune because bad content can really affect your uh, SEO results and even use it to suggest, you know, further titles and things like that from the keyword data. So, you know, data, I, I know, can have an impact on many parts of the brand's creative process. And, I, and you're in a lot more spots than I think than we are uh, with your analytics. So where have you seen it most effective? That's a phenomenal question. I'd say um, another way to put that is um, it's important to understand for a lot of listeners might not realize that when you're making content at a brand, some of the content can be remade quickly, right? So text content, emails, yeah. things like that. It doesn't take a lot as soon as you find new information to, t- to tweak it, right? So it may have a huge impact, right? Maybe you find a new word or phrase or something that changes email open rights by 100%, you know, who knows? That's awesome. But the downside is never quite as severe, right? But when you're talking about visuals, videos in particular, but also photos, Right, you're talking about a much longer process, usually weeks, sometimes months, to to come up with an idea, get it approved, get it budgeted, hire the models, you know, book the photographer, you know, rent the, you know, get a permit for the section of beach you want to shoot on, right, and and create the content. If you find out after that 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 is a bad idea and your audience hates it, there's a huge cost uh, that you've already sunk. There's a huge time. That you've already sunk. So the data that can save that from happening is really, really valuable data, mm-hmm. right? So what, what we see and what Cortex focuses on is visuals f- for that reason, or one of those, you know, for that reason. So, so for us, uh, it depends on the, the brand. It depends on the audience. It also depends on the channel. And even then the tastes change over time. So there's very few rules that are universal, like, um, you know, people should be facing the camera or away or, you know, things like that. There's very few specific pieces of data that that always have an impact in the same direction. But we find that visual data has a huge impact, in some cases, several hundred percent impact um, on performance. Those are being, you know, night and day different. Um, if you follow the data, and if, especially if you're combining different visual data choices into your outcome and it's a big, huge impact. Uh, but that's of course bias. That is what Cortex does. Uh, we don't look as much into other types of decision-making when it comes to creativity. Uh, visuals are our focus, but kind of all the visual data uh, of all the types from colors to things in the image to how old the humans in the image are or how many humans you have or are the products standing or, or sitting right there's, there's really thousands and thousands of things that matter. And uh, the, it's hard to predict in advance which ones will matter most. Hmm. Well, you know, um, what's mattering a lot in the SEO space is now personalization because results are getting very personalized. So I think companies are, are focusing on being very customer-centric and how to do mass personalization. And it's, uh, I think it's an avenue that's showing a lot of promise for them. So uh, what do you think? How do you get, how does company, how do companies get personalization right while they're 
still being efficient with their resources, especially in things like video and uh, images, which can't be changed all that easily. Yeah, it's it's funny. It, it's absolutely the path forward, 100%, right? If I could have a, a video or a piece of content made for me based on what I like, and you can have the same brand could create something for you based on what you like, we are both most likely to like the brand, to take an action, to to engage, right? That is the best case scenario. So that is absolutely the path that we need to travel down. However, there's a giant danger here, and we see a lot of brands make this mistake. They try to go to mass personalization. They try to treat that the same way they've treated A-B testing, which is there's software, there's the services out there that try to create a thousand different variations of the video. Uh, and we blast them out all out to people <laughs> and yeah. we we figure things out that way, right? And that again, that disrespects the customer, right? Mm -hmm. And so maybe at the end of your campaign, you 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 know, you've created an efficient or algorithmic way to tweak the background color of the video or the, the message or something like that, you, you know, some various features of the video, and you've arrived at a better performing outcome uh, than you would. Great, right? That's that's great. But the audience has 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 had to sit through thousands of terrible versions, right? And <laughs> and perhaps and perhaps the idea in the first place, again, this is based still on an idea that someone had that then gets turned into versions, right? So that's still disrespecting the customer. It's still not saying, what does the customer want? Let's start from there and run the process that way. And so that's the big dichotomy. And some companies I find are, are going, you know, they're taking that fork towards Let's carpet bomb the customer with endless amounts of content, which of course, you know, is funny because even those people at that brand making that choice, they're consumers also, right? So they know that that would suck for them, <laughs> you know, on their drive home when they're going to hear some radio ads or they're going to check out YouTube, right? They would hate that, but they, they don't, some, you know, a lot of brands make that mistake. And so it is a great opportunity if we recognize that we should be personalizing based on what the audience wants in the first place. That's how, that's my opinion at least. Cool, That's a, well, that's a good response. I mean, I, I like that, you know, being responsive to the customer. I mean, it's uh, in a sense, it's uh, moving towards, you know, business in general is there's this sort of this, uh, you know, uh, looking forward and retro, you know, thing the customers first, right? Instead of, you know, the, the shareholder. <laughs> um, yeah. So the customer first <laughs> philosophy, I think is- Throughout great. business, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So you know, in the space of data, what different types of data are showing to be are showing to be the most effective? I mean, what is the most actionable, and what isn't? Yeah, um, in our world, um, there's, as I mentioned before, there's kind of like tiers of how easy things are to change, mm -hmm. right? When you think about the the content creation process for visuals, the hardest to change is the the concept to begin with, the strategic, the strategic level, right? If you chose to, we think our audience will like a family strolling down a beach. So you did all the things required to get a permit and get a photographer and a family to a beach somewhere and you're filming that. To change that after the fact is expensive and time consuming and a pain. But if the thing we can change that has a really big impact is the text you put over that image or that video after or the call to action, or the background color of the text, right? That's actually a designer change that can change, that can be done after, right? That can be done at you know relatively redone with with less pain. Right. And so that's the spectrum we see is is 
there are impacts changes all around. And of course, the, again, the, the single biggest delta on performance is getting the concept right, getting the strategy right. So using data to do that correctly is the best thing you can do. Um, but uh, if you don't have that data, or if you've made a mistake in, in, with your, you know, with a downstream choice, like the background color of this thing is really garish, no one likes it, no one's clicking on it, that's not that troublesome to change, right? Your designer can redo that maybe a day or a couple hours. Um, and so uh, that's how we think of things: is you know, okay, they've they have a lot. You know, they think of this almost like um, like a production facility creating, you know many units of you know a bottling facility creating lots of coca-colas right it, it, it's a lot to change the facility mm -hmm. uh, and earlier on in the process causes more downstream changes in, as a pain so so the, the later on the easier it is to change and so most effective information is getting the beginning right getting the strategy right knowing your audience better knowing exactly what they want the analogy I always like to use is um, if you're opening a restaurant, It'd be really phenomenal to know what ingredients your audience, you know, knowing what, in, what your audience is going to visit the restaurant before you open it, knowing what ingredients those audience uh, like best, mm -hmm. and knowing how to combine those ingredients for that audience, right? That would make a killer restaurant, right? Most brands aren't doing any of that. <laughs> yet, yeah, yeah. Right? They're just opening the restaurant and then trying to figure stuff out. And so um, for us, the, the most valuable data is, is kind of the earlier data because that saves you from the biggest problems. Um, and then it's hard to predict, of course, the taste changes and the tastes of the audience before you actually get out there. Well, you know, a lot of, um, uh, here's a question I have that I'm, uh, you know, in my space, I'm also dealing with. So I, I think uh, you, you probably are, you know, thinking about this with cookies on the way out. How does that impact the kinds of customer insights that you can get uh, from your content? Yeah, no, that's a, favorite topic of mine because i don't think a lot of people realize how much is about to change or really is you know changing now <laughs> currently um the way I, I i enable i kind of like explain it to people is um before if you're a brand the most the highest roi the best choice you could make is to stalk your prey around the party <laughs> right you have all these creepy ways to follow them around and show up at each conversation and show up at the next party that they go to. And that was the best return on investment available to you. Not only is that going away, <laughs> but of course that doesn't respect the customer either, right? That's creepy. We all kind of feel icky about that to various degrees. Now with machine learning, with companies like Cortex and, and other companies like Cortex in, in different spaces, you can create the party that the audience wants to go to in the first place, right? respect their opinion, allow them to choose to come to your party. And if they find themselves voluntarily at your party, right? They're very open to what your message, right? Like, this is the cool party I wanna go to. I've come here on my own volition. Let's partake in conversation or business, whatever the case may be, right? That's the analogy because right now uh, with cookies going away, the stalker option is getting worse and worse and less and less profitable. So there has to be another option that brands available to brands luckily that's that's you know the the cookies going away thing couldn't have worked better for us right we're positioned on the complete opposite side we're revealing what your audience wants right so that's really good for cortex and i think just as a consumer really good in general yeah i, th I think it's I, you know i i personally from a, a you know personal point of view i think it's a great thing you know it's uh um 
uh, a lot of people scared by it. I wonder how, you know, we're going to do things like retargeting, <laughs> you know, which is, you know, when getting people to land on the, uh, the site, then how, you know, now you've gotten sort of a permission to follow them around, but you won't really be able to the way you used to. So, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, a new future we're all looking at to make things effective. But I'm, you know, I think that you are in the right space. Um, so uh, when we come back, we're gonna talk a little bit more about the industry and, you know, and, and then how people can find out more about you, all right? Cool, look forward to it. Hello, it's Joseph Franklin McElroy, uh, back with the Wise Content Creates Wealth podcast with my uh, guest, Brennan White. Uh, so Brennan, in 2020, you sponsored, uh, Cortex sponsored a study on the ROI of AI at enterprises. I thought that was really interesting. Like over 1,200 companies were interviewed and they got a lot of right. fascinating and surprising info. So uh, what do you think are some great takeaways from that study? Well, yeah, there's a, a ton of takeaways. And depending on the audience's kind of interest, um, there might be some relevant to their industry, their role, various things. So they can actually go to Cortex's website and find the whole details there. But, but actually, yeah, there's some crazy takeaways that blew everyone's hair back. We ended up presenting those at, um, at Ad Week in Asia and uh, – uh, Martech conferences in Belgium, various other places, of course, via Zoom this year. <laughs> uh, but uh, is it but, yeah. true that the average the average enterprise spends thirty eight million dollars on AI? That's true. Uh, that's and that crazy. Was last year, that's going up a lot more. Uh, yeah, that's a big one. Another one that blew people's back, especially in the content space, is that seventy six percent of CMOS are already planning or using AI. And by 2023, those same set of CMOs, uh, 97% of them said that they will be implementing some sort of AI by 2023. So two years from now, effectively every CMO will have AI in market. Um, and, uh, and the other thing that kind of goes hand in hand with that stat was it's not that they will be dabbling or that they're even dabbling now. The average CMO that is doing something in AI now has 11 separate projects underway currently. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, oh, we'll try one thing. One vendor's got AI. It, it's, they're trying it for chatbots. They're trying it for content. They're trying it for websites. They're trying it for their mobile app. They're, try, right, they're trying it everywhere. Um, because I think everyone understands that it's going to have, you know, AI itself is, is kind of like an electricity level impact on the economy. And no one's exactly clear uh, mm -hmm. where it's going to have the most impact. So everyone's you know, trying to get ahead of, you know, doesn't want to get completely left in the dust. I, I think it's, I think you're exactly right. I mean, one of the reasons I decided to make the move now to do this wise content creates wealth pod podcast is that uh, it's the time is now. Right. And I, you know, I've been, you know, I actually, I, I won't mention my age, but it's well enough that I was at the beginning of AI at Duke university doing uh, alpha beta searches, uh, alpha beta algorithms for AI. So I, you know, I've been in AI a, a long time, but, you know, I, I never got the opportunity to do it professionally, but now it's kind of bringing me full circle to be involved with it. Um, you know, cool. I, I'm in the SEO space. So I saw last year, I just had to ask you about this. You did a speech on the conference. How content and SEO teams 
should work together. Any key insights you could let me know about? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I th so there's a plug for a, for a non-Cortex company. There's a company out there called Market Muse, who uh -huh. we've actually partnered with a few times. Um, I frequently will say they're the Cortex of text as a shortcut. Uh -huh. They uh, completely different tech, you know, very different actually in detail. But the, the to the end user, they're using machine learning to understand Google's knowledge graph, how Google thinks of yeah. concepts, and then tell you what to write about, right? They're coming, they're, so, coming, they're coming on the show in a couple few weeks, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, there's a, quite a few people there that I really like, Jeff, Aki, um, hopefully one of those guys is coming on. Yeah. But anyway, cool, uh, I'll be sure to watch. But um, but yeah, uh, they, they are the experts at this. So they can certainly uh, kind of expound for an entire hour on it. But yeah, SEO and, and visual content are, are effectively sisters, right? Mm -hmm. When we say we don't care about text, we don't focus on that, we're kind of lying, right? We care a lot about the text that goes along with a visual, right? So, and yeah. in, increasingly that's, that's the majority of pieces of text, right? Like uh, the caption that goes with the YouTube video, as, as you talked about actually in your intro, right? The captions that go along with YouTube actually have a giant impact on discovery yeah. of the video and, and, and therefore how it performs. And so for us to say we're using machine learning to optimize for YouTube, we have to care about that text too. So, so there's actually quite a, a tight relationship, but we don't play in text specific stuff like market news owns that, right? And, and vice versa. But, but yeah, in terms of, in terms of the uh, kind of philosophy, it's it's effectively the same, right? The way, um, one thing we haven't really talked about, I've been focusing on about, you know, creating the content for the user and respecting the user. But what Market Muse does and what Cortex also does is each of these platforms has algorithms, right? And so even if I created content that's perfect for you, if, if I put it on Facebook and the Facebook algorithm disagrees, <laughs> they're not going to show it to you. Right, so there's actually a second layer. It's it's creating content that, you know, respecting your audience, creating content that your audience wants, but making sure it's the kind of content that that algorithm will show to that person. So it's actually slightly more complex. And so Market Muse does that perfectly. Cortex does that as well. And so in SEO, you're kind of playing the algorithm and the person at the same time, right? There's kind of two games going on, and that's true as well with what we do. And so I say that's the biggest thing that a content creator needs to realize is mm -hmm. it's not as simple as what does Google say, right? Uh, it's not as simple as what does my audience want? It's actually the combination. And unfortunately, the algorithm is changing, <laughs> yeah. sometimes unannounced, sometimes announced, and the tastes are changing, right? So it actually ends up being a thing that you know, humans are particularly bad at understanding both and as they change the relationship. But, but AI is great at that, right? AI can stay on top of that easily and you know me as a marker content guy i don't have to worry about it anymore so it's actually well suited to to kind of giving itself over to ai eventually so um but it's it's an interesting problem and, and you, know, you can talk about it for a long time because there's yeah. so many aspects of the interplay between those two pieces so um we're getting close now so what is the current state of cortex and what's your near future look like yeah we've just entered the uh, so far the most exciting part of the, the journey so far we uh, closed some capital towards the end of last year. We closed some capital again two weeks ago. Uh, we're, we're growing rapidly, both in kind of headcount and in customers. Um, and so, you know, it's very fun. You know, for a while there, it was getting, like you, as you heard, it was 
coming with an idea, proving that it worked, realizing the customers wanted to use us kind of in a broader set of problems, building for that, and then getting it out there, optimizing. So now we've solved for all of that. Now it's just growing rapidly. And so um, now we're just out, you know, basically getting in front of as many customers as we can, trying to give them a taste. We find the best thing we can do is put it in their hands, have them have that wow moment themselves, right? Because they've never had this data before, right? They never were able to definitively say, you know, what what kind of creative combinations of things would drive performance. And even when they thought they had something, right? They may have done an A-B test, you know, is red better or is blue better or is green better? They were the one that set that test up, mm-hmm. red, blue, green. The shade of green they chose, the shade of blue they chose, the shade of red they chose influenced the data that they got. The fact that they didn't choose purple or orange or yellow also influenced the data that they got. Using machine learning to remove all that bias and all the work, but remove all the bias, get you the truth, right? The actual, what does the data say about the, in this case, we're talking about colors, right? But there's there's thousands of different things and there's combinations of those thousand things. And so that's the that's the exciting part is, when people see that on their data or their competitors' data, and they can learn from that immediately and test it, that's the wow moment. So we're really just in the so you're pretty get as many brands to experience yeah. the wow moment as possible. So how right can uh, how can people find out more about you and reach out? Yeah, Meet, meetcortex.com is the website. Yeah. There's a lot of information there. As you heard, you can get the entire ROI of AI study there. You, there's a ton of content we publish on our blog, uh, meetcortex.com slash blog. <laughs> right. uh, really easy. Also, they can follow me or Cortex on Twitter. Uh, Cortex is at meetcortex. I'm at Bronomics on Twitter. Um, okay. And so, yeah, that's a great way to Good. find us. We're, I speak at a lot of conferences, a lot of podcasts, things like that. So, um, Look and, and also, I've just joined the International Advertising Association, the board. Yeah. Um, and so I'll be putting out my own content shortly uh, under the I. Well, thank you so for for thank you for being part of, thank you for being a part of this show and uh, and I look forward to promoting this content that we just produced here all over the place. I want to mention that we're on the TalkRadio.nyc network and there's a lot of great shows. Uh, the show I think preceding this one is Jeremiah Fox on the Entrepreneurial Web. You can find out more about. This show at wisecontentcreateswealth.com. And my company is galileotechmedia.com. It's a leading provider of SEO services and thoughtfully managed SEO services that will transform your business. Uh, I will have another great show next week. And thank you again, Brendan. Thanks.